Mr. Barton, Maths Podcast, with me, Craig Barton, and once again, I am joined for her fourth appearance of Brick Me, and fifth appearance on the podcast as a whole, my co-host, Joe Morgan. Hello, Joe. Hi, Craig. I think I'm winning now, aren't I, on podcast appearances? You are winning. <laughs> uh, and tied second place, we've got Ed Southall, Danny Quinn, and Chris Bolton, but you're way out in front Yay. at the moment. <laughs> uh, right, well, we've survived. We've made it to the end. I don't know about you, I am knackered. I've never been more tired in my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to try and drive home after this, so this might be the last time anybody ever hears from me, but, but let's go out on a high. So um, it's lunchtime on day four of Brick Me, but this is the kind of end of the, uh, the, the workshops and sessions. There's a final plenary and then a Malcolm Swan uh, lunch that Joe's attending. But we've both had an opportunity to attend two sessions today that we're going to talk about in a second. But of course, listeners will be desperate to know what happened last night when we were off to the conference dinner and Joe had hatched a plan to get us near our idol, Hannah Fry. <laughs> and it's safe to say the evening couldn't have gone much better because I arrived late because I was uh, recording this podcast, uh, producing the podcast. And when I arrived at the bar, Joe had the biggest grin on her face I'd ever seen in my life. Because what had happened, Joe? Well, I arrived at the bar and um, there was Hannah Fry and she came straight over to me and she said, hi Joe, great to see you again. And she bought me a drink. <laughs> Anna Fry not only knows Joe by name, made a positive move to buy you a drink. I was absolutely fuming. Joe has now kept the glass that Hannah's touched, and that'll be preserved forever now. Uh, but it was great. We, we had the meal, and Hannah kept coming over to us. We had photos with her. Uh, we started, the evening started to go downhill a little bit, and I think this is when the drink had really kicked in. Well, we thought it would be a good idea. We, we didn't know when to stop, basically. We'd had a photo with her, we'd spoken to her. So the next logical thing to do was to start a, uh, a Twitter thread that involved fry puns. So Fry Me a River came out, Fry 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 Delilah came out. Remember, <laughs> you remember any of the others we had? Um, I, I've blocked it from yeah, my memory. Yeah. And it was one of those things that seemed a great idea at the time, but then we, we had to actually tell Hannah about it before she checked her phone. Uh, but she hasn't blocked us just yet on Twitter, so we, we reckon we're still in there. But it, it was a great night. It was a, a really good conference dinner. Um, Hannah's speech was, was brilliant, um, and we all had a great time. So we did, and, and then we ended the night with a Jaeger bomb. Oh, Jesus. Um, so we have some sore heads this morning. Yeah, a little bit ropey this morning. But we've made it to our uh, final two sessions. So we've been to different ones again, so we've got four sessions to talk about so we'll start Joe with you uh, what did you attend for the first session um, so I saw Ed Southall um, he did a session called the answers aren't important um, and um, I've been to a, see Ed and speak a number of times before and I know his sessions are always good and there's always lots of uh, puzzles to solve and things like that so it's, it's fun it's like being in a, in a maths lesson and getting a chance to do some maths um, he was talking about his PhD um, his PhD is, is interesting because he's looking at primary and the reason, because he's a secondary specialist and he's looking at primary because he then doesn't bring his own sort of bias and his, or his own sort of preconceived ideas to the um, to the to his PhD and he's looking at how primaries have brought ideas, um, are bringing in ideas from uh, other countries, so Japan, Shanghai, and stuff like that, and, and how that's influencing things like textbook design at primary. Okay. So that's his PhD, and he talked briefly about that, 
And then he talked about some of the things he saw. He, he went um, to Japan last year, saw some great stuff out there. And, and we just sort of had a play around with some of the things he saw and some of the approaches. And, and I guess one of the things he noticed was that there was a lot of um, sort of... Um, leaving students um, to, to get stuck and then just not helping them get unstuck. So there was a lot he saw, he thinks that in, in this country we are quick to help them, whereas when he was in Japan he saw a lot of students just being left to be stuck. Now this is interesting, sorry to come in here because I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So I interviewed Ed following his trip to Japan and mm -hmm. listeners can go back and listen to that. It was Ed Southall part two. Um, but recently, and I've not put the interview out yet, but I've interviewed Lucy Crean, the author of Cleverland, oh, yeah. and she spent time in Japan. Mm -hmm. And she makes this point about struggle. So I wanted to dig into this mm -hmm. because um, I, I have a concern, and I bang on about this in the book, that, that in the past I've been uh, guilty of letting kids struggle too much. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes a lot of struggle can become demotivating, frustrating yep. for the kids and just turn them off completely. So I said to Lucy, well, what's going on here? Because she makes the point in Cleverlands about that the Japanese students are encouraged to struggle. But the point she made, and I don't know if this is the, the Ed would agree with this, but the struggle is um, for shorter periods of time. It's kind of, let's try this problem. And kids aren't left to struggle for kind of 10, 15, 20 minutes. It's a short kind of focused period of struggle, followed by then whole class discussions, mm -hmm. teacher yeah. directed instruction and so on. So I think there's a distinction to made between the duration of the struggle if that makes sense. I don't know if Ed touched upon any of that. Yeah he did and he also talked about how a lot of the a lot of the ideas that a lot of the things he'd seen wouldn't work in the context that he has taught him before so if you've got a, a really challenging class um, then a, a, then you wouldn't necessarily want to do um, sort of give them two questions that take a whole hour because yes. he knows that that's not going to work and there's cultural things here yeah. and there's you know there's there's so, there's so many differences in the sort of context um but yeah he was talking about how about how you know that too much from the teacher there's there's, there's a there's a, a risk that there are sort of subtle unintended influences so you know the the the, the teacher can influence the students thinking too much if they're not careful and he talked about how to improve the depth and quality of student thinking and we did some really nice examples and it was just it's like you say it's, it's not a long period yeah. but it's give you know the, the sharing of methods was the interesting bit so for example he said um do nine times 14 mentally nine times 14. nine times 14 okay. yeah so yeah. i mean you've probably straight away got an idea oh, of how geez, to do that <laughs> four days ago maybe <laughs> Um, and, and then he and then he gave another example, which was slightly harder. He said sixteen times eighteen mentally, and he gave us some time to think about yeah. how we do it mentally. And he, we weren't allowed to write anything down. And then he asked us to, and he, it was great. He got Colin Foster to stand up and write on the board, so he was his glamorous oh, assistant. Geez. So he got um, Colin to write up basically everyone's methods, nice. and it was lovely because people were coming out with things obviously that I hadn't thought of, and and sort of the I thought of the obvious method or what I thought was the obvious method, which lots of other people thought of. But then when you realise that there were people with totally different ideas yeah. of how to do something that's quite straightforward and then I actually like the division as well because it was 12,880 12, divided by 8 12,880 12, divided, divided by 8, eight. Okay. now Jeez. I picture the bus stop yeah, thing straight away, and, and it works right and we talked about why so many of us do like a short division written method but we picture it in our yeah, head and it works fine because actually absolutely. that one works perfectly fine yes. and um, we're saying that, um, well Colin Foster said it's because with, with, with that the way we write that division method sort of the bus stop thing or however, whatever you want to call it we work from left to right yes. so then so then I can picture that sum in my head yeah like carrying and, the numbers yeah, and all and, that and, yeah, and, yeah. and then I can keep track of it but yes. if you try and do a long a common method multiplication in your head because the numbers get written 
um, in the wrong uh, order. Yes. Um, kind of, you know, you're trying to remember numbers backwards, and it's it's just yes. hard. So actually, that's why when you're given a, a mental division to do. Um, it's actually not that hard to picture a bus stop method and to do it like that because we're so used to doing it like that. Whereas other people, there were some other, like, you know, some people said, oh, I'm dividing by eight, so I'm just going to divide by two, then divide by two, then divide yes, by two. Yes. Um, and so there's loads of ways of doing it. And we had um, 7,290 divided by 18. And the obvious one there was to divide by both two and nine because that's how you divide by 18. Yeah, um, nice. and, and, and I, you know, I, I, again, I'm just trying to do bus stop in my head there. Um, and actually there are better ways of doing it, but well, no, we shouldn't say better. There are just other ways yeah, of doing it. Of and it was really, you know, I like looking at things like that. And, um, and then Ed showed us some, oh, we did some stuff. He does this on Twitter a lot where he provides a load of dots and he asks how you count it. And yes. it's just about grouping. And he showed us loads of lovely examples of that. And that was a really fun discussion. And let me ask you on this. So is this, is this something Ed's advocating that you do like regularly in classes? Because it strikes me similar to Joe Bowler's kind of number talks. Where, yeah, he, talked, he mentioned number And, talks, and I, yeah. I was obsessed with these yeah. um, a few years ago, where exactly like that, 16 times nine, right? Everybody think of a way that you do it. And then we get all the strategies up on the board. Yeah. And, and kids are learning from each other. Yeah. Is, is it this kind of idea where, like, do, is that Ed saying, let's use this regularly? I, I don't, think, I don't, think he, don't think he's saying that this is should be sort of everything we do. I think what he's just saying is that we can learn from how there are these approaches in terms of how to improve the depth of student thinking. Yep. So I, you know, he's not necessarily saying that every lesson has oh, to no, be, no, no, no. Um, you know, just uh, comparing methods. But actually, what he did show us was that comparing methods is, is a lovely activity because I really enjoyed seeing other people's methods. He gave us a couple of puzzles from his book, Geometry Snacks, um, and there was a puzzle that. And, he, and he, he went a bit quickly through these for me because I am not a very fast mathematician. I need some time to think. Um, and these weren't particularly hard puzzles. Um, so he put one up, which was an equilateral triangle, and then there was a square drawn in it. And, you know, it's, it's sort of thing that's very hard to describe. But it was, um, it was, and it's something that I need, say, five minutes to get that. But after sort of two minutes... He put the answer up and that yeah. really was like, oh no, I haven't got there yet. Yeah. Most of the people in the room had got it. But he said, oh, um, obviously we're using this isosceles triangle. And that word, obviously, I wanted to, I wanted to shout at yeah, him. Like, Don't didn't. say obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And there was another woman in the room who was um, frustrated that he said, obviously that's isosceles. And she was saying, well, I can't see why it's isosceles. And ah. I'm sitting there thinking, neither can I. Yeah. But I keep quiet about those that's things. Nice. But again, this um, is uh, what we talked about yesterday exactly. about being in the kids' exactly. shoes, right? And, and I thought at this point, she's expressing her frustration. And I'm sitting there with this internal frustration and I'm starting to think, I hate maths now. Yeah. And this is where, and it's just the teacher saying something's obvious and not just um, saying, this is isosceles because. Yes. Um, and then, so then I sort of, then he did another problem and I didn't do that problem. I just Catch figured out this one. Yeah, and then, yeah, so yeah. then I was happy because I figured it out. And, and no, it wasn't particularly challenging, but it just took me a minute or so longer than other people. And let, let me ask you, so what, what's your kind of takeaway from that? Well, has that made you rethink how you talk to kids or? Um, well, no, I, think, I think I realized this last year when I, you know, I talked about this yesterday how I went to a ATM MA event where there was the quarter of the cross thing mm, and I think that yeah. was when I realised you, you already know it but you it, when you're in the position where you don't get something and the teacher then moves on too quickly yes. um, you realise that you know this is one of the big causes of frustration so you know so it's interesting that I had it again today yeah. I mean Britney's um, turning you off maths because you've twice <laughs> now you like, I, I love the puzzle and it's yeah, an yeah. angle and I love I love angle puzzles yeah. like that's this is my kind of puzzle yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it you know it, it just it's just really interesting that I guess a teacher should never you, we know we should never use the word obviously yes. right? that's not a word for the math classroom nothing's obvious um, but also we should um, you know there should never be a well 
that's how you sell this puddle move on quickly you just sort of need to it's just it's just slowing down isn't it yeah the thing is he had a room full of maths maths teachers and really smart people um and i guess he sort of was but it's the same it. like because i've been guilty of that having a top set assuming kids are going to get everything but yeah. kids get things at different speeds yeah. they have different areas of strength yeah. and it's always better i think to go too slow than too yeah. fast right and, and actually he he went to another problem where he said this one's simple you'll get it oh, really quickly oh, oh. and it was a and it was a one of these ones he does where it's like what fraction is shaded and it's yeah. a shape and, it's, and I find the fraction ones really tricky I'm, yeah. I'm happy with angle ones yeah, 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 yeah. but fraction ones I, I have to really think about them um, so again I just thought that this sort of it's it we have to be so careful not to say this this is a really simple problem you're all going to get it and yes. I think I say that in lessons I yeah, think often I'll say we're going to start with this one this is really easy then we're going to do some trickier ones and I probably shouldn't say this one's really easy yes. because straight away you're alienating people or you're making them real you're making them think oh god I don't find this one easy she just said it's easy it's really interesting because there will be another school of thought that I've been told in the past and um, don't say things are tricky as well because yeah. But for some kids, that's motivated. To, to well, I think I think tricky. you have to get your yeah. So, really so with my top set, I, if I say to my students, this one's from an A level paper, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. They're, they're all over it. Like they they love the challenge, but I guess yeah, you have to be careful. But. Um, I don't know. I think I, from what the session yesterday on the A level, where she was saying find. Um, find questions that you find really hard and share them with your students and tell them how hard you found yeah. them. So I, I do think it's good to tell them if a question's tricky. Um, but I, I think telling them a question is easy is probably more damaging than telling That's them That's interesting. So there's kind of two big takeaways there. You've got your that this importance of discussing and showing different methods, especially for the kind of number-based yeah. things, and I think that is lovely. Um, and as I said, so it was something that I was addicted to, and I probably need to, to revisit, because it, yeah. it was really, really powerful. And then just being in taking more care of the language that we use yeah. the, the things that we just slip in casually those words could make a world of difference yeah but uh, I mean the puzzles that Ed showed in this book they're oh, fantastic great, it yeah. is a really really good bit and it's so nice that he's got another one I think potentially coming out and he's also looking at making a version of this that can be used in the classroom nice. so and, and, and the, the nice thing about his book is that each all of the puzzles have more than one solution yes um, and then he said that also he loves it well he wants to sort of set up some kind of forum where people can share other solutions yeah, because nice. you know maths problems have so many solutions so it was um, it was a lovely session great to sort of have a play with some puzzles um, and and, a, and it was a really good sort of contributions from the room where everyone was kind of chipping in their ideas and it was just interesting to hear how everyone thinks differently that sounds a great first session that would have hopefully That's shaken good. off any hangover that you may have had there <laughs> so i went to a different one i went to uh, revealing mathematics by david bedford and ben sparks oh yes now ben sparks um, i've met a couple of times he's, he's watched one of my sessions uh, a year or so ago and um, he's spark maths um, Sparks Maths on, on Twitter and he's flipping brilliant you've heard him play the guitar at Maths Jam oh, right? that was the best thing ever and also I've seen him speak at a um, FMSP event and he's, he's good, brilliant right? for, for sort of students to do like an enrichment as a workshop with students he is good. a great speaker I mean the thing that annoys me about him is he's, he's higher up on the Hannah Fry hierarchy of friends than we are yeah, for, yeah. Now, for, yeah, now, for now for now we'll bump him off there soon <laughs> enough um, so as soon as I saw his name there I thought he'll be good because I, I felt I might be feeling a bit ropey this morning Morning, so I thought Ben will sort me out there but David Bedford um, I, 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 I didn't know him at all I'd ne never met him before I know Ed's um, is Ed Southall's former tutor yeah, or he something was, like he, that? He, he was at the University of Kiel which is where Ed did his degree so, yeah. so I turned up to this session it was rampacked and I tell you what it was flipping brilliant it was amazing and the whole um, kind of setup of it was it's maths with an aha moment so it's doing maths 
and then at the end of it thinking aha or in, in my phrase flipping it what what's going on there <laughs> and you had you've all the big names in here so you've got Anne Watson in there she's she's loving it um I was sat a couple down from Bernard Murphy from the MEI so everyone's in here mm. and and David and Ben said at the start you'll have seen many of these things before um, so don't spoil the surprise I like this because you only get to experience that aha mm. for the first time once and it's so obvious to say so it was really there's a really nice atmosphere that people weren't saying oh yeah I know this one or anything like that and so there was many of these things I'd never seen before and I'm not gonna be able to do it justice here because some of these are very visual but I just want to set the scene for this I'd, there were two things that I'd never seen anything like it in my life, right? So the first is, it opens up with Pascal's triangle. Yeah. And he says, right, in your mind, uh, I think Ben was doing this bit, picture what it looks like if you colour in all the odd numbers. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to picture it, and then he does like a computer animation of it. I'd, uh, uh, people can look this up, but if you colour in all the odd numbers of uh, Pascal's triangle, you essentially get this pattern, beautifully symmetrical mm -hmm. pattern of triangles. Some of them are... Uh, bases on the bottom, uh, some of them the bases on the top. Yeah. It's, it's um, almost like a fractal kind of thing, but it's, it's just beautiful and it carries on forever and ever and ever. So I was like, oh, okay, that's fairly nice, but I'd, I'd seen something like that before. Then he moves on to a different uh, problem, and I tweeted this one out, and Twitter was going mental about it. I'm just going to show you a picture of this joke. He called it the two square problem. And essentially, you've got two squares, yeah. um, you've got square uh, that's, I think it's kind of a three by three, but it's got length of side X, and then a bigger square next to it that's got length of side Y. And essentially, you, you create a triangle within these two squares and yeah. as I'll tweet it and then the challenge was work out the area of the triangle right and all I'm gonna say now is right I could not believe my eyes when I saw this firstly it comes out to a really simple answer the right. area of the triangle which you sometimes expect for these mm -hmm. kind of things yeah. but if I told you that the length of that second square mm -hmm. doesn't even come into play at all in the mm -hmm. area of the triangle so you can move uh, you can change the size what? of the second square <laughs> and the area of the triangle stays exactly the same How and it was that? flipping amazing <laughs> and I was like so I was doing the maths on it and I thought I'd made a mistake I thought yeah. where's me y gone yeah. so I'm looking back where the flipping x is y gone yeah. but it, it, it should have gone so it was amazing so, I, so then I was in That's I was hooked cool. to this one but yeah. I've not even got to the good thing <laughs> Um, so then he did a Tower, Towers of Hanoi uh, yeah. problem, but he used state vectors to map the positions of the disks. So he had like a numbering system right. uh, based on one, two, three to track the position of the bigger disk, the medium disk, and the small disk. I'm not going to do this justice at all, but when you, and this is like, it was unbelievable, when you mapped these state vectors and set them up on this diagram, what did the flipping diagram turn into? Only the odd numbers on Pascal's triangle shaded. I was like, are you winding me up here? Right? But if I tell you that's not even the last time you're going to hear from Pascal's triangle, right? Uh, because then, next thing he does, uh, we then have the fi a five-card trick. And now we've had a bit of magic already from Andrew Jeffrey, haven't we, yeah. numerous times uh, on this conference. So hello, Andrew, if you're listening. So the five-card trick is where, and this is brilliant, you team up, so we could do this, Joe, mm -hmm. double act on this, but not now because our brains aren't working so good. You, um, you get a member of the audience mm -hmm. to pick any five cards they want from a deck of cards, yeah. any five at all. And then I'll take these five cards, and what I'll do is I'll show you four of them, mm -hmm. and you'll be able to tell me what the fifth one is. Right. It's incredible. <laughs> and what he did, he presented us, and he did it, him and David did it a few times, yeah. um, and it was working every time, and then he presented us with a challenge, how are we doing this? Yeah. And the it was a beautiful bit of math. There was no sleight of hand or anything like that. There was a bit of kind of uh, modular arithmetic in right. there, a bit of logic, a bit of permutations, arrangements. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Amazing. And then I'm looking at my clock thinking, surely there's no more coming here. But yeah. then there was two more final aha moments, right? Wait about, wait to hear this one, right? 
put three dots randomly anywhere on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you mark um, halfway between one of the two dots with a point. And then you randomly choose one of the original three dots and mark halfway between your new point and the randomly chosen uh, new dot. And then you keep repeating this. So you randomly choose one of the original three dots and always mark the distance from where you currently are halfway to that new point. And you mm-hmm. keep putting dots. Right. So he's doing this, putting these dots. I'm looking at it thinking, I can't see anything coming here. Yeah. Puts it on JoJo, does it loads of times. What the flipping heck comes out? <laughs> Pascal's triangle's back. But these aren't numbers. I could not believe my eyes. This same pattern just appeared. It was flipping That's ridiculous. I it feel was. Like I've seen that before. I can't it see It was That's, flipping yeah. ridiculous, Joe. Pascal, <laughs> he was appearing everywhere. Like uh, anyway, and then it ended up with the, the, a new game show. Name that polynomial, and right. this blew my mind. Right. So this was. Uh, this was. Well, wait, let me just scroll. So I've got the example here, so I can just do this. Do this justice because th- this was ridiculous. So this was David did this, and I should say David and Ben. What great presenters they were! Really? What flipping yes. presenters! They were absolutely brilliant. So uh, name that polynomial. So what he did, uh, David got everybody to uh, choose a polynomial, anyone you want. Right. The only criteria was you couldn't have. Uh, you only had to have in positive integer coefficients. Okay. okay. Now, I was thinking that they're going to ask me to do some tricky calculations, so I kept it simple. Yep. 2x cubed plus 1. Thought, okay, right, let's keep nice. it solid, okay? <laughs> then what you have to do, you have to choose any value for x to substitute in. Yeah. And the only criteria was your value of x had to be bigger than your biggest coefficient. Okay. So luckily, because I'd chosen 2x cubed plus 1, I just had to be bigger than 2. So I choose cho- chose 4. Yep. So I had to substitute 4 in. Right. So I put 4 in. So I did 2 lots of 4 cubed plus 1, and I got 129. And then wait till you hear this. I just gave <laughs> David the number I put in, 4, and 129, <laughs> and, he knew and he told me my polynomial. <laughs> and he went around the room, and people were shouting him out. This, somebody shouted out something like, um, uh, my number was three, and my answer was like 54,223, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he went, five x, uh, five x to the power four, plus two x cubed, plus seven x, plus one. And it, like, what, what the flipping heck was going on And here? you could choose any number You could choose any any polynomial, any you could choose any number, as, as long, long as, as your, they were integer coefficients, well, your positives. Just, that's just witchcraft. There's and it was phenomenal. And he said, the maths behind it is not as hard as you think and beautiful. Really? And, I was ju- and he left us with that. <laughs> so I'm going to be driving over thinking about that. That's amazing. And what I'll do, because I probably haven't explained that well, I will tweet, um, I will include on the podcast notes page the actual um, set of instructions for that because it was just what a great but it really made me think my takeaway was first I was loving it absolutely and everyone was loving it it made me realise how much I love maths and it made me appreciate as well because I think as maths teachers we've kind of seen quite a lot of these these tricks it's very not tricks is the wrong word but it's it's quite rare that you come across something that you haven't seen before and so for me the joy I get is when kids see these things for the first time mm-hmm. but to experience it yourself really made me appreciate what a wonderful experience it is for a child to see something like that for the first Absolutely. time and to try and give these kids these aha moments yes. is just great so it's which, is, which is why if schools have the opportunity they should get speakers like ben to yeah. come in and actually there are grants available yes so you know you can get a grant for enrichment and, and if your school hasn't got the budget you can still get them in and and, they, and these things are fantastic. Or take them all out on a trip to a Maths Inspiration Day. Exactly. But um, I, they're, they're like life-changing events. I think so. And what I'm going to say is I reckon, I mean, be, 
Ben's quite well established. I reckon you can get David on the cheap here, right? I reckon, <laughs> I reckon he's up and coming on the speaker circuit. So I reckon you club together a couple of quid. I reckon we can get him <laughs> in. And he's brilliant. He's a really good style man. So that was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful session. Right, two more to go, Joe. Uh, what did you do next? Um, I saw um, Neil Ogden from OCR. And yes. he was talking about lessons to be learned from how students performed in the 2017 GCSE. Oh, yes. So um, it was, there was some stuff in there that was similar to the very first session of the conference that I went to on, um, what was that? No, not the first session. The one I went to on Tuesday morning. Wednesday morning, which was on um, challenging uh, questions in GCSE. Yeah, the so topics. He, that yes. Were so he out. so he did some similar stuff to that where he showed us some questions that students really struggled with. Yep. And I think that's something that teachers should always be looking at, and, and it's fascinating. Um, there were so there were three main things I took away from Neil's session. Um, one was um, and just he showed us lots of data and the graphs and stuff. And there was a few things that were I thought would be interesting to listeners. One was that um, a lot of schools use OCR for foundation. Um, and, and that was really interesting because he said that the, the found, oh, so overall last summer, he said that, you know, in the sort of, if you look at sort of off course data on this, um, 53% of students in the country took higher GCSE. Right, so 47% okay. took foundation. Yeah. And, but for OCR, um, that was reversed. So 59% took foundation for oh, OCR. That's interesting. So 47 nationally compared to 59%. And we should for say OCR. here, neither of us do OCR, do we? No, no, we don't. And, and the thing is that um, what was interesting about that is that it's not that um, people who choose OCR then decide to enter all their students for foundation. Yes. You know, that's not what's happening. He's saying that there's a lot of schools that use OCR for foundation and a different board for higher. Really? Um, and that, I, I wasn't aware of that and I thought that was interesting. And, and, and he talked about how the OCR specification is split into three columns. So they have initial learning, which is kind of your grades one to three stuff, the lower demand stuff. And then it's, then it's got foundation tier and then it's got higher tier. And he's saying that he thinks that uh, for your sort of uh, students that struggle a bit more with maths, teachers are liking that three sort of uh, the three yes. columns because they can really target their teaching at that initial learning. So yeah. that that's fifty percent of the foundation tier is the stuff that OCR have listed in that column. Yes, and yes. he says that teachers are really targeting that that really key stuff. Um, and and he, so he thinks it's sort of the way their spec is 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 really appealing to foundation. Um, uh, well, another thing I thought was interesting was he said that if uh, if you the stats suggest that 1.4% of entries on foundation, those students maybe could have got a six, so they should have actually gone on higher. 1.4%. So it's a, okay. it's a very small percentage of those entries, and actually that's for OCR foundation. That's for OCR. Yeah. So so what he's saying is that was better than on the old spec. So if people are worried okay. they're making the wrong tiering decisions, and the, and the risk is that you take someone who should be doing higher, yes. and you put them on foundation, therefore capping them at a five, and that's yes. where you're thinking, have I made the wrong decision? And then you know, the other wrong decision would be putting someone who's higher who then gets a U or a three. Yeah, yeah. So you've got the two, you know, the two parts, the two two places that could go wrong. And yeah, that would be that would be a tragic to put someone on the foundation tier. They get they get sort of ninety something percent, and they get a grade five. And they could have got a six if they'd been put onto higher. So you've sort right. of capped them. And he said that actually the 1.4% of context is better mm, than the on the good. old spec where there were more people who could have got a higher grade. Oh yeah, you take that any day. Yeah. So he said that's and, and um, he said there's one student who got 300 out of 300 on the higher tier. So that student should get some kind of prize, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was he just sort of showed us um, some some stats that I thought were interesting about tiering. He talked about a couple of differences on specs, and I think this is interesting because a lot of people just assume that the, the specifications are identical for the three boards, and and the changes are subtle. And there's there's sorry the differences. There's not many differences. OCR 
Venn diagrams, they don't need to know that um, intersection and union notation yes. at all. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, and but also, although all, all my students got that wrong in their AQA oh, mock, so. <laughs> and then um, also there's no function notation in ACR, yes. so they don't need to know f of x, g f of x, that That's kind of thing. Right. Um, and it's just interesting that there's these very subtle, and it shouldn't, that wouldn't make a difference no, to no, the, the no, board it's, you choose. It's important but, to know though, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, it's very important to know, because I get a lot of emails from teachers asking me to clarify GCSE specs, yeah. like, you know, they, could, they, don't, they could email the board, and, they email me and they but say... But I'll tell you where it's also important, so neither of us do OCR, but I'm guessing like me, you use some OCR material. Absolutely, like the topic yes I do. Yeah. So that's when it's important to know. Yes it is. Yeah, because yes, you're if right. you take the function stuff and all of a sudden you're not seeing F of X. Yes. Yeah, so well, because actually their functions, I think, their functions check into is very good but it's kind of function machines. That's exactly um, right. Yeah, That's so actually exactly the OCR checking tests are brilliant yeah. but um, anyway the main thing that I loved in this session was we looked at in detail at show that questions. So this is a question, for example, this was question 2B last summer on the foundation paper um, and um, one in five students just left it blank. Question yeah, 2B. Question two. So, so he thinks it wasn't placed well in the paper. How many marks? Um, right? It was two mark question okay, and the right. question was show that four fifths is bigger than seven ninths. Show that four fifths is bigger than seven ninths. Okay. Now I tweeted that, and then I've had a year six teacher reply saying, "What the hell is this? Yeah, My year six yeah, can do it." Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know they can do it in year six. I won't be able to do it in a couple of years. Um, but no, actually, I think the problem is, or the question is, so it says show that, and I think maybe they look at that and they think, "Oh, show that what with a diagram, yeah, with a number yeah, line." Like yeah, they're yeah, thinking, yeah. "What does this show that mean?" Um, and and that's what's kind of stopping them from answering a question. You know, if it said, you know, if it was worded differently. Yeah. Then they then they might have they might have had a more of a go at it, and then we looked at other show that questions where we were trying to figure out why they hadn't attempted them or why they'd done badly on them. And what's really interesting is at A level, a show that question in part A normally just makes part B accessible. Yeah, absolutely. So it would be show that, and then you 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 do the show that, and then part B you have to use that answer. Yeah, the equation. So by making it a show that rather than a workout, it yeah. means that the students can do part B if they can do part A. Whereas a lot of these GCSE show that questions aren't like that. Um, the GCSE show that questions are just testing that skill of a student being able to explain things. Yes. Um, so there was a there was. Um, there was one where it was complete a tree diagram, and then it said show that the probability of blah 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 is 0.76. And the students all completed the tree diagram, no problem, probability tree. And then they didn't couldn't do the show that bit very well. Um, and I thought maybe if they'd just been asked to work out yeah, the probability, yeah, yeah. Same skill. Exactly, like, yeah. but but they're put off by the word show that. And even if it was worded, even if it said the answer is this, show the calculations that lead to yeah, this answer. Yeah, but yeah. it's just you know when they see the word show that, I don't think they're clear that what's being asked for is a series of calculations. I, absolutely. Um, and it, and I think you know they're thinking what they, they want some kind of diagram, they yes. want a picture. Um, and it always reminds me of Hannah's Sweets, the sort of famous GCC question from a few years ago, where it sort of gave some information about probability, and then it said show that and gave a quadratic. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. there was a big fuss about all these students going to Twitter saying it was ridiculous because how can probability just turn to quadratic? Yes. Um, now I do tons of stuff like that with my students. You know, I, I did a whole lesson on show that questions last week where they were forming quadratics. Um, and but I, I do think it's um, it's interesting just to sort of have a think about why they struggle so much, and it, and it's and I think it just comes down to them not knowing what the the question wants yeah. of them. And, and making sure we as teachers expose kids to these tons of times. So Absolutely. And again, we're only in the second run through this GCSE spec, so there aren't that many um, kind of new spec stuff available for each board. Yeah. But you, 
Joe there, I'm sure, will be going away using some of those questions with yeah. your year 11s, Absolutely. exposing them to show that. And it's almost, I'll tell you, tell you what rings a bell for me, just listeners, there'll be a bit of background noise here, um, where we're kind of uh, recording just in a bar area, anything could happen here, but it'll be fine. <laughs> I think our baby's trying to get involved on the podcast there. Um, but I'll tell you what's just struck me there, it's almost like a little bit like in my SSDD problems, like you could yes. give kids four different questions, each asking them to show that. Yes. But they may need slightly different strategies. Some may be wanting a calculation, some may be wanting a proof, some may yes. be wanting a diagram. Mm -hmm. But crucially, exposing kids to those and getting them to distinguish between the strategies and methods used, yeah, I think will be really important. Yeah. So it was an interesting session. I particularly like the, 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 you know, just having a think about what it is that students find hard. And yes. I, I took lots of pictures of the hard questions. Um, and like you say, I'm gonna be using those for my year 11s. Fantastic, cheers Joe. Well, one more session to talk through. And this, if anything, is gonna be a bit of a teaser because <laughs> I sat in there and it was by, well, I should, should give the, the background. It was called Investigating Mathematical Attainment for low attaining students. So my, my ears pricked up straight away because I think it's a weakness of my mm -hmm. uh, teacher. I'm certainly more comfortable teaching high attaining students than low attaining students. Yeah. And the other thing that drew me into it was the, the presenters. So it was Colin Foster, um, uh, one of my all time heroes, and another of my all time heroes, his surname I always butcher, Jeremy Hodgson. Hod Hodgson, isn't it? I don't know. You Hodgson, know what? I'm gonna go. Anyway. Hodgson. You know what, he was actually a tutor at my, uh, my uni, I did my PGC, yeah, and I really should know how to pronounce his name. I, I think we've got about a 30% success rate of surnames on the podcast takeaway <laughs> series but it doesn't matter anyway let's just say Jeremy and Colin so I interviewed Jeremy uh, he was one of my first guests on the Tesmas podcast years ago uh, with Deep Marcusherman when they talked about that iCams project mm -hmm. and I, I love Jeremy's work mm -hmm. and I've been meaning to get Jeremy back on the podcast so I thought if he's talking about something interesting here, mm. this would be a great, great mm. kind of introduction to it. And flipping out, was it interesting? Mm. So, him and Colin um, have done a study into teaching low attaining students um, in, in, at year nine and year 10. And what was fascinating about the, the review that they've done is they've interviewed teachers and they've interviewed students. So, when they interviewed teachers, um, as I say, I'm not going to do this justice um, at all. Um, but they interviewed teachers and said, what do you find difficult about teaching low attaining students? What difficulties did they have? And so on. And, and teachers were coming out with generic content, uh, comments saying that the students struggle to retain things, which is no surprise, they seem to forget things from one lesson to the others. Uh, some of them are disaffected, some of them have fixed mindsets and so on. Um, but here was the first really interesting thing that struck me. Um, they found that pupils rarely used what, they, uh, what Colin um, and Jeremy called derived facts. So by derived facts, um, we're talking that if students know 15 times 24 is 360, mm -hmm. can they find a quick way to work out what 16 times 24 is? Right. Now what's fascinating about this is, teachers didn't tend to use these calculations in lessons with low attaining students because they said, well, it's obvious, of course they know how to do that. Right. Whereas whenever the kids were given them, they didn't have a flipping clue. What mm -hmm. the kids were doing, so in that example, 15 times, four, uh, 15 times 24 equals 360, they were just ignoring that, oh, and then doing 16 times 24, working it out using oh, a, a written, you know, a multiplication thing. And best case scenario, maybe then casting their eyes back to have a look, see if it was close right. to the original okay. answer, but working backwards almost, yeah. so not using that fact at all. And what Jeremy and Colin were saying was that this is a really proven strategy to help kids with their, their number sense mm -hmm. and their flexibility and, and so on. It's such an important skill. Yeah. And yet teachers weren't fully utilizing it yeah. and kids weren't getting enough practice of it. And <laughs> it was good. They said, I'm going to use, a, I think I'm allowed one swear word per, uh, per podcast, so there might have been a couple of extra ones. Uh, last night. So I'm going to use this one here. Um, 
teachers were saying um, it was obvious and mm. Jeremy then said well bloody well tell them then because they <laughs> teachers just weren't weren't telling the kids they weren't, they weren't <laughs> explicitly saying this calculation is related to this so I, I found that really interesting and then um, they said that arrays were very 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 rarely used so I'm going to show you a little picture here Joe so this is a 14 by 36 array right. so you've essentially got 14 dots going downwards 36 dots going across right. and you've got a rectangle of it and then it's uh, the question is how many more dots would there be in a 15 times 36 right. array okay. and what kids were doing is they were just getting fingers out and starting counting across one two oh. three four like that <laughs> and again they weren't using this derived fact yeah. and the point was kids had never seen it represented in this particular right. way before so it was just really interesting that there are a load of proven strategies for low attaining students mm -hmm. that uh, quite a few teachers and I'm going to hold my hands up here um, weren't seeming to use on a regular basis and right. especially something like this derived facts which seems like a relatively quick win yeah. didn't seem to be being used um, another thing was number lines kids um, reported in the study that they hated number lines they found them really confusing um, they said that they used them for negative numbers right. um, but if they were given something like a thousand and one take away two they oh, yes. would never consider thinking about a number line in terms mm. in terms of that and they prefer to use a written algorithm and would tend to make mistakes with carrying and stuff oh. so again um, just making more explicit use of number lines yes. again it's, it's been proven to be relatively effective um, when they interviewed kids, they said that they uh, wanted the procedure to be made explicit. They don't want spoon feeding. They want to be shown a, a procedure really, really well and then given plenty of practice on it, which again mm. um, seems to chime, chime particularly well. Um, and just uh, a couple of other things, because what, what then pops up, only our favourite topic, Joe, of the conference, manipulatives. Oh, uh, so back it comes again. Yes, I, yeah. I can't seem to go more than three minutes without mentioning manipulatives. <laughs> so here, here's a statement. Use of manipulatives are rare in secondary. And I think that's, okay, I, yeah. I think from my limited experience, that yeah. seems to be true. What was really interesting was that kids are really confident with using their fingers. Mm -hmm. And what you tend to find, and, and Jeremy stood up and he said, what you, when kids use the fingers, they tend to do it subtly like under the table because oh, they're almost kind of embarrassed because yeah. these are like year nines and year yeah. tens. But his point was that fingers are a really powerful manipulative. Mm -hmm. And if you can um, start, if, if you can say to kids, right, okay, let's use your fingers, but then relate those fingers to things like number lines and yes. other visual representations, yeah. then it kind of eases that transition Absolutely. through. So kids using fingers and stuff is a, a really kind it's of just, it's powerful just not enough them. I mean, because like, I'm trying to work with, with my daughter, and every time I give her anything goes above ten, I'm like, oh no! So then I draw out a number line for her. But yeah, there's yeah. not enough fingers. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was basically it was it was a really really fascinating thing. Um, yeah, uh, representations and manipulatives are really valued by teachers. Teachers understand the value of them but um, very rarely mm -hmm. use them in principled ways. Yeah. So they'll choose one for one, one for another, oh, yes. and so on. Yeah. And really want guidance on this. And yes. I'm one of those teachers. Yeah. And they, they put a quote up from one teacher who say, I use a bit of bar modeling, I use a bit of Singapore, I use a bit of something else <laughs> I saw at this conference, and all this, you know, using piecemeal, but would quite like a coherent approach yes. that they could use and so on. So I was sat there thinking, okay, this, this is fascinating. Well, I need to get Jeremy on the podcast. So we're going to do a low ability, mm -hmm. um, a low attainment, sorry, a podcast special. And I'm also going to interview Jeremy about, um, I want to dig more into number lines um, because he also said that um, we're all guilty, and see if this rings true for you, Joe. We're all guilty with number lines that we put far too much emphasis or more emphasis on the smaller numbers. So we're like, okay, it, we really emphasize calculations between, say, like uh, three and five and minus one up to four and mm -hmm. so on. 
And then whenever we come to do big numbers, it's like, oh yeah, there's not that much of a gap between a million and a billion. We always kind of have a logarithmic view yeah. of number lines and all the importance comes on these small numbers. Yeah. And he's, he just thinks we may be missing a trick with number lines. So mm. I, wanted to, I want to dig more into that. Um, it's been now five years since iCAMS uh, was launched. Mm. So I want to know what the big takeaways from that are. Some teachers listening to this won't even have heard of the iCAMS thing. Um, and also Jeremy's done a load of research on another of our favorite topics, mixed attainment uh, groupings versus setting and um, so I want to get him on to talk about all those things okay, so I'm, yeah. I'm really looking forward to getting Jeremy on there but it was it was a fascinating it's interesting on the manipulatives about you saying that teachers need support on it it's sort of like you know I, I it, it should be a big feature of um, initial teachers training the whole the whole problem these days with the school centered training routes is that a lot of teachers aren't getting much time for sort of formal training before they're in the maths classroom yes, yes. and that would have been a good opportunity to do training on manipulatives then they're straight in to classrooms and then they sort of go off and do these odd days of uh, a few days maths throughout yeah. the year and it's just not enough because you know we just don't get the opportunity and then we get no time for CPD throughout the year That's right. and the problem is I think probably on my PGCE because I did university based route so I did get the sort of training before I was in the classroom I think I was probably shown how to use some manipulatives um, but then if you don't use things straight away you just forget yes. and, and it's one of those things where if you're not, you don't have any opportunity to, to apply the training straight away on a regular basis then a few years later you have no idea how to do it anymore you're absolutely right Yeah, yeah. and um, I should say on manipulatives a little bit of a, well, I'll tell you what we've got two corrections we need to make so otherwise two people <laughs> are going to be very upset with it so the first one is I was walking back to my room uh, last night just before the dinner and I saw a man in uh, shorts and a t-shirt sprinting over towards me and I was thinking what's that am I going to get mugged here but I wasn't it was Michael Anderson whose session I went into on the use of manipulatives oh, yes. and if you remember Joe we, we, I'd made the point that uh, one of our issues with manipulatives is that with large classes it becomes really difficult to manage and mm -hmm. kids are losing things left right and centre and yeah. I made the point to back up my argument that in Michael's session when he handed out his dominoes to us all um, every single group seemed to have a domino missing and then Michael had to come round and say which domino, domino right. are you missing and I said well that's a, that, you know, that, that happens in class yeah. turns out that was a deliberate ploy from Michael oh. um, and to get us to spot the structure of the domino so he wanted to see could we I identify see. which one was missing so oh. I hold my hands up there Michael I, I apologise it's either that or he's making that up he's backtracking <laughs> but either way apologies for that Michael but then what's our other correction we have a, a member of our quiz team who isn't happy at a comment oh, that we Megan. made oh Megan you know what we love Megan and we've been hanging out with Megan for the whole conference and she was a brilliant member of the quiz team and I think we um, in jest said that she had nothing to offer um, because we know she has a sense of humour so we knew that she would find that funny but yes just to clarify Megan is a genius and we love her <laughs> so I hope that I hope that sorts that one out Megan right anyway we have reached the end of our recording anyway uh, Joe's now gonna I assume kind of have a spot of lunch and then go to the uh, kind of Malcolm Swan uh, lunch which will be a, a fascinating thing a look back at Malcolm's life and his contribution to, to mathematics and if you're interested in uh, in knowing more about Malcolm from this podcast um, Colin uh, Foster was at the University of Nottingham with Malcolm and we we, for the first kind of 10 minutes um, of our, my interview with Colin, we reflect back on what Colin learned from Malcolm in terms of task design, questioning and so on, um, and his contribution to maths will, will, is impossible to overstate. Mm -hmm. So that will be a wonderful event. Um, I am going to hop back in my car and attempt to drive home. Uh, fingers <laughs> crossed. It could go either way um, at this stage. But um, I just want to say, well, firstly, a big thanks to you, Joe. Um, it's been a big ask um, to, to do these podcasts. We've, we've recorded probably about four hours of material at the end of at the end of long days but we've had lots of nice comments haven't we both from Twitter and people at the conference because 
the thing is with yeah. these, there's so many sessions and you can't get to yeah. them all. And even if you've been to a session, it's nice to hear other people. So Yeah, I was surprised that people at the conference were sort of while they were getting ready in the morning listening to the podcast the day before. I think that was really nice. In fact, yeah, because Andrew Taylor wasn't happy because we'd speculated <laughs> that he was old. So he'd, I was hoping he wasn't going to listen to that before I'd driven away. But he, he, he wasn't happy at that one. So again, apologies uh, to, to that, Andrew. You're just relatively old compared to, <laughs> compared to the rest of us. But yeah, it's, it's been great uh, hearing people's feedback. And if people do find these takeaways useful, then we're going to keep trying to do these. I'm, I'm doing research ed. Joe, uh, in rugby, Joe can't make that one, so I'll find someone else for that. And then we're definitely going to do maths conf in Manchester. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. do takeaways at the end of that one and, and so on. So thank you so much, Joe. It's been fantastic spending uh, four days with you now and speaking to you on these podcasts. Um, and a huge thank you to uh, the loyal listeners as ever for listening and downloading these things. And I'll be back with a more kind of straightforward and um, interview-based podcast in the near future. So farewell from me. Farewell from Joe. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we, we haven't rehearsed that bit. <laughs> Take care of yourselves and bye for now from Brittany. <laughs>